Well, let's begin in a word of prayer, and then we will dive in. God, I thank you for your blessings that you give to us. This morning we are blessed with the sun shining, with our hearts beating. We're blessed to know that you heard our prayers yesterday for Bruce, and you blessed them with what what we could call a miracle. And God, we are just giving you the praise and glory for sparing his leg, his life. And we just uh, give you the praise for that. Father, I also thank you for the blessing of your spirit and the fact that your spirit has been given to us and dwells us and so much more. I pray that you would help us. Your spirit this morning would help us to understand who he is. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we are on question number 36, but I want to jump back to question number three, all the way back to question number three. Wow, it's like an eternity ago, isn't it? How many persons are there in God? And the answer we had was there are three persons in one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are same in substance equal in power and glory. And we explored that quite a bit. We talked about the Father in some of the subsequent questions. We spent a lot of time talking about the Son. But we have not really talked much at all about the Spirit in this, this class, have we? So today, our first question about the Holy Spirit specifically is going to be the topic that we are going to think about. Um, but before we get there, let me just ask you a question Kids, help me out here. What are the jobs, what are the kind of jobs out there that are about helping people? Crusoe. What's that? Polices. That's great. That's funny because I've been teasing. The ladies got their thing called cookies for cops. And I, I keep, no, it's law enforcement officers, which doesn't fit with their marketing very well. You know, it doesn't rattle off your tongue. Cookies for law enforcement officers. But police is, I like that. It's usually just police without the S on the end, though. Won't give you too much of a hard time. Liam. Firefighters, police, okay. What else? What are jobs that are about helping people? Wesley. Doctors, thank you very much. What else? Wesley. Nurses, doctors and nurses, so medical professionals. So we got police, doctors, health people, firefighters. What else? What's that? Teachers. Some. Some help. <laughs> That's their goal. <laughs> right? They're hindered often. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is, that's his main job? is to help. In fact, the Bible even calls him the helper. Jesus called him the helper in John 17, as we'll see. And <clears throat> this week, our question is going to deal mainly with who the Spirit is. And next week's question is like, what does the Spirit do? But first, what, who is the Spirit? So the question number 36, and it's on your handout there, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? That he is God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son, 
and that God grants him irrevocably to all who believe. Okay? That's got some big words. Let's break down what do those words mean first. First of all, what does it mean that he is God? How about you help me out there? What does it mean that we say that the Spirit is God? This, is, this one's the easy one. That's right, Matt. It is. It means he is God, right? As we saw in the, this question, God is three persons in one unity, right? So he is God. Now, the harder one's that co-eternal word. Have you ever seen a word, think of a word that starts with C-O and then something else? Co-something. What words come to your mind? It's kind of hard, maybe. Liam. Co-worker. I love it. Co-parent. Cooperative. Exactly. Pastor Matt and I are co-pastors. Okay? The word co, anytime you see that on the front of an English word as a prefix, means with. With, like together. Like Liam's example, co-workers work together. Parents co-parent together. Pastoring, we're parenting together. So if it says co-eternal with the Father, what do you think that means? What does it sound like it means? What's eternal with? Together with, they are eternal. So what does that not mean about the Spirit? That he's not created. He did not have a beginning. The Spirit is eternal just like the Father and just like the Son. They have always existed together in one unity, the Godhead. Good. Okay, let's, one other thing I want us to talk about on the what does this mean before we get into where does this come from in the Bible irrevocably. Oof, that's like a legal term almost, isn't it? What does it mean to be irrevocable? You can't take it back. No take backs. You guys, kids, like, no take backs? Is it still a term? Kind of like no tag backs? Yeah, no take backs. God gives the Spirit irrevocably to all who believe. So that means when you come to Christ in faith and repentance, as we've been talking about, he gives you the Spirit, and he never takes the Spirit away. That's what that means. So let's just dig in. Where do we get this from? And I'm going to keep you working today. All right? So I'm going to do this with a quiz. So I'm going to make a statement, and you can tell me whether this is true or false. True or false, and the first one's kind of a softball for you. The Holy Spirit is God. True or false? Oh, I thought we were breaking our hands. True. Thank you, Crusoe. Definitely. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Now, I didn't have time to put all the scriptures up there today. So what I want you to do is open a Bible, either look at one underneath the front of you or look on your phone. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. So we say this question says that teaches us that the Holy Spirit is God. Well, does the Bible teach that? Yes. Let me show you just one example. 
So Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1, this is the, kind of the history of the church as it launched, right? After Jesus had left earth. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Okay? If you look in Acts 2 and even Acts 4, it talks about the people, the church coming together and getting, giving some of their resources to help the church grow. This is an example of a couple who were going to do that. They sold a piece of property. Look at verse 2. And with his wife's knowledge, so Ananias, his wife Sapphira, <laughs> knew about this, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, the money that he got from selling the land, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the point of this little story that you're about to see is not that he only gave part of it. The point is what he's about to do. It says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So stop there. Ananias is apparently saying, we sold this land and here's the money we got from it. Comes to the apostles, says, here's the money we got. And Peter says, why have you lied? Who does Peter say he lied to? It says the Holy Spirit right there, right? Now look at verse 4, because someone else already said this. He said, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? In other words, you could have kept part of it. That's not the problem. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So in verse 3, he said, Peter said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Now he's saying you lied to God. Is, is Peter saying you lied to the Spirit and to God? Is that what he's saying? No, he's saying the Holy Spirit is God. You've lied to God, the Spirit. So that is how we know. And there's, it's all over Scripture. <laughs> but this is just one little example that the Holy Spirit is God. Okay, next question. Uh, we, the answer was true. Got it, good. Next question. The Holy Spirit first appears in the New Testament. True or false? I hope, wait, I hear some falses. Do I hear any trues? Does some people think that maybe the Holy Spirit first showed up? Thanks, Wes, just for contributing. Yeah, the Holy Spirit did not just first appear in the New Testament. False, okay? False. Where do you think we find the first, very first, heavy hint, very first instance of the Holy Spirit referenced. Genesis. Like the second verse of the Bible. So turn there. Look at Genesis 1. If you have a New Testament front, I'm sorry, you're going to have to just listen. <laughs> sorry. You know, you, you pro everybody probably has this very first verse memorized, Genesis 1.1. But let's read verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness, chaos, was over the deep. Darkness was over the chaos, actually, over the deep. 
Look at this next phrase. And the Spirit of God was brooding over, hovering over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit did not just show up in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit showed up in the second verse of the Bible. He's all through the Bible. All through the Bible. Okay, so, next question. Next question. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, this is a tough one, isn't it? True or false? Is the Holy Spirit a person? Liam? False. We got falses? Any trues? I've got some trues on this side. It's apparently this side is the falses. I'm glad to get some dissension. That helps, right, a little bit? Okay. So let's take a step back to think about this a little bit. What makes you a person, Liam? Is it because you've got eyes and you can talk and you've got a body? Is that what makes you a person? Why not? Why is that not what makes you a person? Because you've got a body. You guys have a dog. Does that dog have eyes? Does that dog have legs? Does that dog kind of even communicate in a way? Yeah, he does. He communicates to you when he's hungry or when there's strange noises, right? Wes? Is that a yes or no? Or true? Okay, so we're going to true. The Holy Spirit is a person. So, but we haven't answered the question. What makes, then, a person a person? Consciousness is one, but I think, I think animals have some kind of sentience being aware of themselves. I'll let me just, what's that, Todd? A soul, yeah, a soul. However, we can't really observe the soul part. I would agree that uh, having a soul is what makes you a person. The dog doesn't have a soul. The dog is not made in the image of God, right? But let me give you three ways that we can know that a person's a person different than the dog or any other creature, okay? They have, and I'm going to give you really technical terms here. They have a thinker. They got a wanter, and they got a feeler. The, te- the, the technical terms would, they have intellect, right? They have um, a will. We call that volition. That's the technical word. That's your wanter. And a person also has affections, emotions. That's your feeler. So you have a thinker, a wanter, and a feeler. Now, emotions, we can maybe say, I think animals may have emotions, but they're not thinking and putting together and creating, are they? Persons have a will, a mind, and emotions. Now, let's get to our question. The Holy Spirit is a person. He doesn't have to have a body to be a person, does he? He doesn't have to have a body, but he needs to have a thinker, a wanter, and a feeler. So let me give you just three examples. We're back to the New Testament. Let's look at Romans 8, 27. Uh, my friend, Pastor Dan, that was just here last week and preached through this passage. Romans eight twenty seven says, He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit has a mind. He thinks. 
The Spirit uh, has a mind right there. And then if you look back a few pages to Acts chapter 7, let's look at an example of the Holy Spirit having a will, a wanter. So Acts 7.51. Now you help me out. after If you read this, tell me how you think this shows that the Spirit has a, a, a will, a desire, a want, wanter. You stiff-necked people. This is Peter preaching. You stiff-necked people. Actually, I think it's Stephen's. Yeah, it's Stephen's testimony. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Now, why do I say that that shows us that the Holy Spirit has a will? We're willing ourselves against what? His will. Right? If you are resisting the Spirit, what does it mean you're resisting Him? It means you're resisting what He wants you to do. Right? Do you see that? To resist the Spirit means you're going against what His will is, what He wants for you to do. So the Spirit has a mind. The Spirit has a want, has a will. All right? And then let's look at one more passage. Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Man, I may have to have those boys space out a little bit back here. Wesley Fuller. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to grieve your mom and dad? Yeah, so you thought your mind went right to mourning with death, which is another word we use, right? We use grief when we talk about death. Maybe older ones. If, you, if, if I said, don't grieve your parents, what do you think that means? <laughs> Maggie's got this look like I do it all the time. <laughs> I know, I don't think so. Depends on how deep the grief is. All right, what does it mean to grieve someone? Yes. And annoy, yep. Right? There's all kinds of emotions mixed up in that word. Right? I feel deep sadness when my kids don't follow the Lord. Right? It could be that kind of grieving. It could be aggravate, grieving, kind of. Here it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That has to mean then that we can do things that cause emotion affections to be displayed. Now that's a very complicated thing to say about God, and I'm not going to get into the technicalities because some theologians say that God cannot have emotions, and when they say that, try to make this really quick, what they're not saying is that God does not display anger, that God does not display sadness. What they're trying to say is, you and I can flip on a dime, right? We're very fluid. We're very volatile people. What they're trying to say is, God's character does not change. He's immutable. So in some way, his grief or emotions or passions come out in a way that does not change the fact that he is immutable. And that's one of those that's kind of like the 
this sovereignty and responsibility thing that's hard to figure out together, and I don't try to really figure it out too much. <laughs> but it's true. We know God never changes, but somehow I see all over Scripture that he displays perfect anger, perfect love, compassion, right? So I think there are emotions, and I kind of conflated love there with emotion, sorry. So I do have an extra handout today. For anyone that's interested later, come up to me. Because you can go through the Bible and see all kinds of examples that show that the Holy Spirit's a person, and all kinds of examples that show that the Holy Spirit is God, and different ways. And I, I made a an handout that walks through a whole bunch of scriptures that I got from one of the uh, systematic theologies that I think are helpful. Next question. So we know the Holy Spirit's a person, boys. The Holy Spirit's a person. Is that because he has a body? No. Why is it? Why do we know that the Holy Spirit's a person? Wesley. Well, I don't know if he has a soul. That's interesting. Crusoe? Awesome. He is listening. That's great. Good job, guys. All right, next question. Now, true or false, the Holy Spirit lives in all people. False. Fall to peer pressure on this one, please. <laughs> if you're still in Romans or can go back to Romans, let's look at this. Because this is part of the reason why we say in that catechism question that God grants the Holy Spirit irrevocably to all who believe. So if I'm looking at Romans 8, 9 and 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul is saying, you, the people that are reading this, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now listen to this next phrase. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You can see right there that there's some logic, really interesting logic going on right there. He's saying those who are in Christ have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not in Christ. There aren't too many logical statements where you can just flip the, the, what's on the other, either side of the is. And this is one of those. If you have the Spirit, you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not live in all people. Ananias, the guy that lied to the Spirit? Well, we don't know. Because all we know about Ananias is those, that chapter right there. He just shows right up right there. He's one of the people in the, new, in the church. The, the first church. True. You, you, you bring up a good point. We, the, the text doesn't say whether Ananias truly... No. That's, that verse says irrevocably, meaning the Spirit cannot be... Right. If he had the Spirit. Yeah, he, say, he said he lied to the Spirit. Didn't say he had the Spirit. Lie to the Spirit. Right. So 
we can look at, <clears throat> this is a great, great question, and I'll, I'll give you my answer for why I think it's this way, but I hear what you're saying, because in one sense, there, there is no sin, you or I today, this is my belief, you do like Matt. When Matt does this and he steps back, it's just a clue. He's like, I'm talking about what I think I've learned from the Bible, but I can't say, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> um, my train derailed there. <laughs> well, no, I, this is a good question because there, I don't believe there's a sin that you or I today could commit that would take the Spirit away from you if you are truly in the Spirit, if you're in Christ. If you've been given a new heart to believe, you cannot have that new heart taken away. And the Spirit comes and dwells you. That can't be taken away. And I don't believe that there is a sin that the Holy Spirit, that you can lose your salvation. Therefore, the Holy Spirit can't be taken away from you. So if, when Peter's talking to Ananias, he's saying to him, you lied to the spirit who was probably convicting you, then there's instant judgment, which should cause us all as Christians to fear that that could happen, right? Or he's saying, because like Todd said, you could lie to the spirit and not have the spirit in you. And I can give you an example from the New Testament because the, the Pharisees, Jesus says to the Pharisees that you have blasphemed the spirit when they accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan, Beelzebul. Well, if Jesus actually says you have blasphemed the Spirit, he actually says you've blasphemed the Spirit. So I think the Spirit, you could blaspheme or lie to the Spirit and him not be a part of you. What were you going to say? True. Uh, as Christians, convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment to come. So even saying conviction is limited to Christians isn't actually true because Jesus says the Spirit is coming to the world to convict the world. Right. So and then, you can be convicted of sin, not have the Spirit in you, but the Spirit is still convicting you of sin according to Christ. And in First Thessalonians, when it talks, actually maybe Second Thessalonians, when it talks about the Spirit, the, the one who's restraint, restraining the evil gets pulled back. I believe that's talking about the Spirit of God. And we talked about it several months ago that that verse is talking, one way we see that common grace happens by God restraining evil. I think one of the ways that you see the conviction of the Spirit, even for someone who's not a Christian, is that the Spirit is reminding people's consciences of the law of God written on their hearts. So I think your, the question, answer to your question could be maybe, and if he did have the Spirit in him, he would have gone to heaven, yeah. but would not have been a pleasant... It's going to be, as Paul said, as if by fire, <laughs> right? Because I, I could commit a horrible sin, but I believe that Christ has forgiven that. And um, I do think that there are some sins that Christians would do that might lead to death, physical death. John even seems to say that in 1 John. There is a sin that leads to death, he says. And I think that's what that's talking about. That There are some sins that God may judge you in this life to say, no, my child, I do not let that. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I, he cuts, it says in John 14. So I, I believe that you could sin in such a way that we're really getting on a sidetrack here. But this is a good question. 
that he could judge you in this life, discipline you, and say, no, my children don't do this. Right? But this is almost saying that there's the possibility that people can be part of a functioning church, can vocalize that they believe yes. God, but still don't have the spirit because they don't truly it. believe. Yeah, that's a great point. Did you hear that? So even demons believe in God. We got multiple examples. Jesus says at the judgment he's gonna separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat, the tares exist among the wheat. So there is a mixed church. Right? And part of the church is truly bought by Christ, and the other part are faking it all along. Is it John that says that they left us? First John, he talks about some individuals that left the church, and he says they were never really of us. There you go. Perfect. So, what's that? Mark's going to preach today. No, it's, so, it, he, Mark's right. Like, people exist. I don't know that every single one of you in this room are truly believers. You can even say it, but only you know, ultimately, if you're faking it, right? Is your hope in Jesus only? Do you have a conviction of sin? Do you see these things happening in your life? Then there's, there can be assurance there. But if What's really scary is the ones that they, not only have they con- deceived others, they've deceived themselves. Yes. Right? Matthew 7. I mean, there's yeah. the possibility of people in Matthew 7 that are standing before God and thinking, I'm in. Yeah. Say, I never knew you. Yeah. What were you going to say, Todd? I was just thinking, why this road narrow the gate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a thinning. Yes. Yeah. This is, this is good. Let's keep going here because I only got five minutes and I haven't got the look from Gene yet. I haven't got the Gene look yet. But, so Holy Spirit does not live in all people. Um, the Holy Spirit, this one's kind of a trick because we already talked about this anyway. The Holy Spirit first appeared on the day of Pentecost. True or false? False. Thank you. I don't know if I heard any truths, but you're wrong if you did. <laughs> I can just give you one example, um, and I'll just read it so you don't have to turn all the way back there for the sake of time. 1 Samuel 16, 13 is, says right there, then Samuel, this is when he, God says, go anoint someone because I don't want Saul to be king. And he goes to Jesse's sons, looks through all the sons, and God's like, nope, not that one, not that one. They bring David out, and then it says, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So we see multiple examples, Genesis 1-2, the Spirit, but there's another example. I'm reading through the book of Judges right now, see the Spirit of Lord of the Lord rushing upon. I think that's different than the Spirit indwelling you and I. I think the Spirit gave Abraham a heart to believe, regenerated him and dwelt him. But I think the Spirit has a function where he can rush upon, he can empower people, even if they're not Christians. We see that Saul, right? Okay, let's keep going. So the Holy Spirit did, wasn't first time showing up with Pentecost. All right. The Holy Spirit's the promised helper. True, true. Thank you. Good. Let me read to you John 14, 15 through 17. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, 
And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's another sermon. Go back and find on Edgewood's recordings when, John, when Pastor Matt preached the book of John, because that would be talking about what that means. But the, clearly the point is the Spirit's called a helper. Um, the word there is uh, paraclete. It's the one who comes along and helps you. Next question. The Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and the Son in the Trinity. True. Yes, true. And I don't have time to trace this all the way through Scripture because it's all over the place in different ways. But if you just think about that Acts passage that we went through, Peter said, you've lied to God. You've lied to the Spirit. He doesn't make it sound like, well, it's worse to lie to the Spirit or less worse to lie to the Spirit than to Jesus. He just puts it there. You lied to God. You lied to the Spirit. Next one. The Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son. That's true. Have you thought about that? That the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. Let me read to you from John 17. Now, this one doesn't talk about the Spirit, but this talks about what you see in the Trinity. It says in John 17, 23 through 24, Jesus is praying, and he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So we know the Father loves the Son. And then the Son says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So it's twice there. The Father talks about loving the Son. We could see elsewhere that the Son loves the Father and we can see that it says in 1 John 4, 16, that God is love. So it makes sense that they would love each other. In fact, there's this perfect Trinitarian love relationship going on for all of eternity. And that's what makes the cross moment really astounding. Because the father turns his son back on the son for a period of time for you and me. I don't think he stops loving him at that point, but he can't, he can't look on him, can he? Okay, we have like two minutes. Well, this is, the answer's true, yes. <laughs> Let me ask you, though, why does this matter, this truth? We like to say, okay, what does it mean? Where does it come from? We see that in multiple passages here in Scripture. Why does this truth about the Spirit matter? And next week, we're going to talk about what he does, but just about the who he is. Why does it matter? I don't have a prepared answer on this one. A little bit louder for me, Mark. We have a helper we should be taking advantage of. Right? I think a lot of us yesterday were doing that when we heard that Bruce was being airlifted. Right? If you got that message, you were like, helper, spirit, would you do a miracle here? And we saw that, which is awesome. And I, that's him walking in. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I just saw him walk right by the window. That's so amazing. Of course, he's limping with a cane, but that's okay. <laughs> that's awesome. Why else does this matter about the Spirit? I think it's important that we take time to 
understand what does God say about the Spirit, about himself? Because there's a lot of theology built off of wacky understandings of, the G- of Jesus and the Spirit, <laughs> right? And it's so important that we look to what does Scripture say about the Spirit. So that's why next week we're going to look at, well, what does he do? And I'll just give you one thing that we know for sure. The main job of the Spirit is to show us Jesus. To not put attention on himself, but to put all the spotlight on Jesus. We'll talk more, though, next week. Let me pray. God, thank you for your spirit, the helper, the seal, the one who convicts, the one who is the spirit of truth and the spirit of wisdom. I pray that your spirit would be working in this church, even today, this morning, as we worship through music and giving and preaching and hearing all of those aspects of worship, that you would be working in them and your spirit would be encouraging and doing the work that he does for us and we would be submissive to it we would not grieve him but we would listen and hear from him in the various ways that he will show up today we just thank you for that in jesus name amen